Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. I'm Manu Feit, he's Stefan Bienkowski. And Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, can't complain. Uh, it's been a really eventful weekend in the Bundesliga. Uh, I somehow managed, personally, somehow managed to get a little sunburnt this evening. I had this today, not, not today, actually yesterday, I went on a hill walk and, I mean, this is just how white I am that I can go on a hill walk and it was completely overcast the whole day. Not a ray of sun came through. Uh, I was away, it was like a 14k walk. I was away for like two or three hours and I got home and we were out with some friends and they came back for lunch. And we're sitting having some lunch, and everyone said, Stefan, you're completely sunburnt. And I'm like, How? <laughs> I didn't like it didn't even. But yeah, that that's just how pale I am. I am Polish, you know, and my dad, <laughs> like, but like the thing is, my dad tans very well. He, he deals with the sun very well. That's obviously the Polish side. But my mom, my mom's from Irish stock, and honestly, they, oh, no. they just, they just, they can't deal with the sun at all. So. It was it was quite funny. I was on Indian TV today doing some Bundesliga stuff, and I was terrified of them asking if I was sunburned, and I'd have to explain that I was sunburned from the despite the lack of sun. Like, yeah, that's what it's like here in Scotland. We get sunburned even when the sun doesn't come out. Um, yeah, so I did get a slight sunburn this weekend too, but I'm in California, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see that, that, that's a legitimate excuse. Uh, but it wasn't the face, it was just my arms and it's for the silliest thing because I forgot to put on sunscreen. So if you're listening to the show, always put on sunscreen because it happens really quickly. Um, Can I see, see very briefly before we move on from this, this is something I saw like on an Instagram reel or something when I wake up this morning. Apparently you're supposed to wear sunscreen on flights. Did you know this? No. Uh, yeah, because a lot, so that is good information. <laughs> par- well, apparently because the UV light obviously comes in through the plane windows, and apparently because you're so high up, lack yeah. of atmosphere, it's like twenty per- is like twenty times more powerful than like a normal amount than than the sun that you would get on ground level. So apparently, if you're flying, guys, make sure you put on some sunscreen. So apparently, mm-hmm. I-, I only found out today, but apparently it's pretty pretty uh, it's pretty important. Well, yeah, especially if you're like me and you fly all the time, like every second yeah. weekend. This is important yeah. information. Uh, that has or absolutely... if you're half Irish. <laughs> yeah, half <laughs> Irish. Um, obviously, none of this has to do anything with the Bundesliga. Um, although I think a couple of clubs did get burned this weekend as well. Oh, there, there we go. There <laughs> so we go. There's, your, there's your tie into the Bundesliga. And uh, Stefan, it was a really eventful weekend. And uh, we should probably talk about um, all the results that we had and do it after this quick break. This episode of the Geek Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championship, 
right through the Final Four and Championship game. BetOnline is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use the mobile device to sign up and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So yeah, um, a couple of cups got burned really badly. As I said, uh, no one got burned more badly than Hertha. Uh, 5-2 against Schalke. Um, I should have done this. This was homework, but I was extremely busy yesterday um, hanging out with LAFC and uh, LA Galaxy here in California. So I didn't look up when the last time was when Schalke scored five goals. But I think the last time they scored came close was that Matthew Hoppe show in the year they got relegated. Um, I think they won that game for them. 5-2. Um, wow. I know that neither one of us saw this coming because neither one of us tipped this result. Um, I think we both actually thought that Hertha um, would probably walk away with the three points here. And they did I said not. Schalke. Oh, you I did say Schalke. Schalke. Yes, you said 2-1 yeah. Schalke. So I, yeah. I'm in the dark house. I said Hertha. Um, yes. So Schalke do get all three points. And they think they get it in a way that kind of might resurrect them uh, in this relegation battle. Um, I think what is true, and we both said this, and I think it holds even more true now, is that the team that would lose um, this relegation battle would be in enormous trouble. Um, I think yeah. now that you add the, the manner of the defeat, um, the way Hertha completely collapsed here, um, and the fact that they then released Sandro Schwartz from his head coaching duties and replaced him with Paul Dadai, who's taking his third comeback. <laughs> did, did you think they just keep Paul Dadai in like a glass cabinet and then he'd go yeah. like a sign above his saying, in case of emergency for his glass? <laughs> and he just comes out. Um, yes. Um... And, 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 then he, and, then, and then after six months, he just kind of says, look, I'm going to go back to the youth team. You know, it's crazy keeps putting out fires for this club. Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to work this time though, Stefan, because um, I, 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 you know, followed the press conference this morning um, and read some of the details. Um, and I, a few things stuck out to me. First of all, like Kevin Prince Boateng, um, who we were both baffled that he's actually still playing and, um, and that he's actually still an impact player for this team, which tells you quite a bit about uh, Hertha Berlin and where they are as a club. Um, that he's now part of the the coaching staff, right? He's an assistant coach, which I actually think might be a pretty smart move by the club because he's obviously tied into the club. You know, he's he was a, he's a had a youth academy prospect from way back in the day. He identifies with the city of Berlin. Um, his playing career is, is coming to an end. He does seem like the kind of person and personality that would do quite well as a head coach, I think, right? So maybe. Uh, kind of shoehorning him into that position makes sense because he does have the personality to lead. Um, I think maybe they, reading between the lines here, I think they were kind of actually maybe thinking of giving him the position altogether, but maybe didn't trust him to do it on his own. Um, and I don't know what his coaching license status is, right? That's that's also an issue. Um, so they did bring back Paul Dardai to sort of help him. We had actually a similar situation once before in the Bundesliga, 
with Matthias Sommer and Udo Lattek. That was back in 2000 when the two of them saved um, Borussia Dortmund. And then the next year, Borussia Dortmund actually won the title with Matthias Sommer in charge. That's not going to happen here. I'm sorry, Hertha fans. <laughs> I don't think Hertha is going to be anywhere near uh, winning. Well, they could win the second division title, I guess, with <laughs> Kevin Prince-Boateng in charge. But there is precedent for this, you know, where a player who is still kind of almost on the field um, walks straight into a head coaching position. Um, I think that is an interesting thing here to note. But the Paul Dardai thing, I mean, that is not exactly the most creative solution, in my opinion, Stefan. Yeah, it's not. But that's maybe not a bad thing. If you look at some of the creative decisions mm. they've made recently, they've been disastrous, you know. Um, you know, Jurgen Klumsman is probably the most obvious example of that in recent years. Um, mm. And I don't know. I, actually, I mean, look, first things first. You know, anyone taking his job on right now is really up against it to actually save Hertha from relegation. I mean, they've got Werder Bremen coming up. Uh, they've mm. got Stuttgart, Cologne, Bolkham. So there's maybe three or four games that they could win. Wolfsburg yeah. in the last day is also maybe a, a winnable game because uh, Wolfsburg haven't looked exactly fantastic recently. But um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I haven't really had much time to process this because we're literally recording yeah. this as Paul Dardai's press conference happened. But I've always quite liked Paul. Uh, Pal Dardai, um, in the sense that he's always kind of been just this very low key mm-hmm. club guy. Uh, he just gets on with his job. But actually, if you kind of look at his record at the club, his first stint at the club was actually quite impressive as a head coach. Okay. Um, yeah, I've got the transfer uh, transfer mark page open that shows all the previous head coaches. And in his first spell, he picked up 1.38 points per game, which nobody was able to match mm. uh, that came after him. Um, and then actually when he came back in in 2021 as a kind of interim but also full-time, kind of like what we're seeing here, he picked up another respectable 1.23 points per game, which Korku, Magat, and now Schwartz haven't been yeah. either. So I, never, I didn't really understand why he kind of gave up the job in the, first, in the, in the second time because I actually thought he did a decent job of it. But I also kind of think... You know, if Hertha are beginning to resign themselves to get relegated, I think Dardai is probably a good candidate to kind of take on the job in the second division. You know, he obviously knows the club back to front. Mm. Uh, he also doesn't really come with a huge amount of expectation. Um, like, you know, if they were to appoint, I don't know, say like Adi Hutter or something like that, or not that they could get something like that, but, you know, like I'm just thinking like some generic Vincent head coach, you know, maybe would arrive with all sorts of bells and whistles attached. Yeah. Um, if his dad died, he can just kind of get on with the job without anyone really thinking, oh, well, you know, will he stay? Will he go? I mean, he's always going to stick around if they get relegated. He'll probably quite happily just do the job in the second division. And he'd probably do a reasonably good job of it as well if you kind of look at his previous records. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of the problem with Hertha. It's not really... Um, it, the thing about Hertha, I think, is that like you kind of look at the decision makers there over the course of the years. Obviously, the ownership structure has changed a lot. The people who yeah. make decisions have changed a lot. Uh, specifically this season, that's always been the problem. The people making decisions, the people paying or putting the money into the club, they've always been the people making the wrong problems when the situation is if they'd maybe just stuck with Dardai the first time around or the second time around at least, uh, they probably would have been quite comfortable in the Bundesliga right now. Yeah. The kind of weird thing about this game, actually, you know, having watched it, was that I didn't actually think Hertha played that poorly. Obviously, you know, if someone's just kind of looking at that result on a score sheet, they'll think, wow, Schalke really battled her, uh, battered Hertha. Yep. But 
it, it wasn't really like that at all, really. It was a game that was 5-2 that could have very easily finished 3-3. Um, you know, if you look at the XG, Schalke had 2.58 to Hertha's 1.72. Mm-hmm. But I also think, crucially, um, Schalke scored two really, really important goals, first in the third minute, then in the 48th minute. Um, you know, um, they just kind of completely pulled the wind out of um, Stu- uh, Hertha's uh, sails because actually, they, uh, you know, Jovetic pulls one back when it was 2-0 to Schalke just for half time. Yeah. Um, it's on 2-1. Hertha have their tails up. And then Schalke just divert, deliver this another incredible blow. And I think, I, I do kind of feel like I'm not, I mean, I'm from a Schalke point of view, I actually don't think there's a huge amount they should read into this game because even though it was a decent performance, I think they were quite lucky in the manner of both early goals in both sense, mm. both halves, because allowed them to sit back and play that kind of defensive counter-attacking role that they quite enjoy playing this season under Thomas Rice and they were able to kind of pick off Hertha but yeah, Hertha had a number of chances in this game and it was actually quite an evenly matched game so bizarrely enough I'm not sure even I mean I don't really see the point in sacking Schwartz at this point point. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't actually think Hertha were particularly bad if they played like that up against you know as I mentioned the likes of Werder Bremen or Claude or Stuttgart maybe the Stuttgart's look better for Pope or whatever else then I don't think there's any suggestion that they could pick up points. So mm. it's a weird situation I heard right now, as it has been for a long time now. Um, they seem kind of now kind of destined to get relegated. But yeah. hey, maybe maybe a stint in this five Bundesliga would be a bad idea. I mean, we said the same thing about um, last year when they brought in Felix Magad, right? Um, and he did turn things around, got them into that 16th spot and then rescued them in the relegation battle against HSV. I'm not sure they're going to be quite that lucky this year. Um, I'm just looking really quickly at the table here. And it's, it's, you know, it is only two points to Stuttgart who are on that 16th spot. And, you know, that is probably the best bet now to somehow just get to pray to be 16th and then you know have a repeat against HSV as it looks like <laughs> when you look at the second division results HSV doing everything in their power to finish uh, third <laughs> very lucky I think that St. Pauli also slipped because then otherwise the the derby the, the Hamburg derby would have been a really big one right um, this weekend um, this upcoming weekend but um, obviously now he had to you know they, the 16th spot is their biggest hope because five points with just six games to go to Bochum, um, I think is a is a really tough task. I thought it was interesting that that I mentioned a few of the fundamentals that are really important for him, right? And when he rescued the club last time, that that they really need to get back into getting set pieces right, you know, just be defensively sound, just do the basics. Um, and I think that is probably a really good message from him, right? Um, just think match day to match day, get your job done, you know, focus on the things that you can control. Um, that sort of thing and it's a it's a very clear message and I think also for him he, as you said he doesn't really have anything to lose if they go down worst case he just goes back to his youth academy job right which he seems to be enjoying the most anyways um, and can just do that like it's like he's almost unfireable in a sense right like he has a job at Hertha he will always have a job at Hertha um, every once in a while he pops up <laughs> break it emergency kind of guy um, but I think is and this is maybe my final thought on this. How 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 does seven 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 feel about that? You know the the new American partners that have just come in and bought um, the stake and took the stake over from last Windhorst for a lot of money and also guaranteed more investment to come in. Right? Um, what 
and I mean, again, we're just taking this all in as it happens, right? So this this might require a deeper analysis further down the road, but how are they going to look at this mess that was presented to them, this prospect of second division football next year? Um, and how will that influence investment into the club? And I think that is really, I think that is a big part of the story here that, you know, we, we still need to digest because you look at some of the other teams, I think in, with, with the, the um, Italian club, Genoa, I think they had this, they had a similar situation as well. Um, but yet, you know, it is fascinating to watch because for them to get something back for their money, you had to have to play first division football, right? Um, you know, you look at the television money, you look at the the attendance figures and all that. Um, it's it's just and like next year you also don't have what rescued them the last time they went down is that they had the derbies against Union Berlin, right? They wouldn't have that this time because Union Berlin are doing quite well in the Bundesliga, um, and then that that's a risk as well because like you go down now you lose further ground to the other team in Berlin that's slowly but surely usurping you as the number one club in the city, right? Um, so I think that is a really fascinating part of the story that um, is yet to unfold. And I wonder how much of um, the decision to, to like, you know, break the glass in case of emergency actually came from 7-7 partners. Yeah, I mean, you would assume that they knew what they were getting involved yeah. with, with Hertha because... It's not like they've invested in, you know, Gladbach or, you know, um, I don't know, Frankfurt or something like that. Who and, and and all of a sudden they've just had this historically bad season mm. and found themselves in relegation. I mean, Hertha have been kind of bumbling around the bottom of the table for a number of years now. You know, they finished sixteenth last season, fourteenth yeah. the year before that, tenth, eleventh, tenth. Yeah, they had some decent runs in the top six and eight back, you know, two two seasons. But a bit before that, there was 15th, 11th, 16th. Then that's, then that's when they're kind of yo-yoing between the first and second division. Yeah. So historically, at least in a modern sense, Hertha are a club who can aspire to maybe be a mid-table Bundesliga side or maybe aspire to even be a top eight side. But for the most part, they are a team in the bottom half mm. of the table who always have to deal with relegation. So... It'll be a real test of these investors to see if they're genuine or if they're just here to try and make a quick buck because if they're genuine, they'll look at relegation and say, well, it's not what we had planned, but it's not the end of the world. And maybe it offers an opportunity for them to kind of wipe the slate clean and build something proper. And you couldn't look for a better example in the sense of what Union Berlin mm-hmm. have done where they take things very slowly. Uh, they don't get ahead of themselves. They make sure they appoint the head coach first and that head coach has a very strong say in what happens at the club so that everything kind of revolves around the um, yeah, and I think Union could do a lot of good just kind of looking towards, oh, sorry, Hertha could do a lot of good rather than uh, looking at Union yeah. and, and just thinking, well, let's try, let's try and walk before we can run. And then before you know it, you are suddenly a top, you know, top six, top four side like Union Berlin if you do manage to go your ducks yeah, in a row. No, absolutely. Oh, this is a developing story. So we'll probably keep our, keep our eyes on it and, and see, see how it develops. I'm pretty sure Hertha fans, um, <laughs> Hertha fans, I wish all the best. Um, their club is all of a sudden a spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Um, Stefan, we have to move up the table um, and stay down the table because VfB Stuttgart, massive point against Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund slip twice in this game or um, to stay on topic or on theme, got burned. <laughs> um, this... You know, this result, I think, hurts Dortmund. I mean, first of all, Stuttgart, fantastic. 
come back with a man down, right? Um, they lose Mafopanos, a key defender, to a red card. Still managed to come back from a 2-0 deficit. Um, Dortmund then scored. Gio Reyna um, makes it 3-2, I think in the 92nd or 93rd minute. And then somehow with the last shot of the game, Silas makes it 3-3 in the 97th minute. Um, this is a massive point in the relegation battle, as we pointed out for Stuttgart, um, for Dortmund. Um, and we get to Bayern in a moment here because, you know, they, they were just, um, shaking their heads in disbelief on why they're still two points ahead of Dortmund. Um, but for Dortmund, this is a huge slip up. And I think this is also one where it's almost more of a wake up call for them than the Klassiker. Um, because you look at the post-game reactions uh, and Eden Terzic in the press conference, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, was quite strict with his team. Um, I don't want to say he threw the team under the bus, but he kind of did. You know, he does, he did question his team's ability to, to um, you know, perform. He did question his team's, he didn't use the M word, but it was in the room. You know, you could sense it in the press conference. Uh, mentality was something that was questioned without using the actual word. Um, and I think you look at the reactions of diff- all the different players on the field. This is such a big opportunity lost. And if Borussia Dortmund do not win the title at the end of the year, um, they will be looking at this game and say, this is probably an even bigger impact than the Bayern fixture. Because you look, it feels like that Bayern are so vulnerable at the moment. And I said this, you know, after the Classica and when we had Matt Ford on here, that I feel that there will be more Bayern bubbles coming. And I think there's more coming. Um, we have lots to discuss when it comes to Bayern Munich and all the issues that are going on there. But if you Borussia Dortmund, you need to capitalize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first things first, yeah. the guard were tremendous in this game. Um, Obviously, they went two goals down, and that's not that's not great. But the way they responded was really quite remarkable. And even after going a man mm-hmm. down, um, the way that they played in the second half was incredible in the sense that you never once thought that they were a team who were a man down, which really suggests to me that, and anyone who watched, that just about every player on that pitch put in like 110% to kind of compensate for the lack of a player. Um, and we've kind of seen this in recent weeks with mm-hmm. this team. You know, they've got a new head coach. Uh, he's did a fantastic job there and they've, they're picking up points and results that suggest that they've maybe kind of turned a, hit, uh, turned a corner in a sense you know they've also they got that Nuremberg result the Focal but then of course that Bochum uh, win uh, last weekend before last which was one day I think that kind of raised a few eyebrows actually um, and they went into this game in the exact same kind of mood to be perfectly honest with you in the sense that they just didn't accept mm-hmm. defeat at any stage of the game and you know it's interesting that Terzic has kind of, as you said, maybe thrown the team under the bus or been very critical of the club because I do kind of feel like a lot of the pain and anguish that Dortmund went through in this game could be kind of chopped up to Terzic's kind of in-game management. Um, I feel like to a large extent Dortmund were kind of limited. So what the kind of necessary context for this game is that Nico Schlotterbeck and Nicholas mm-hmm. Sula were both injured. Uh, so they had to start with a kind of back four and it was Mats Hummels and Emery Chan. Um, as the two central defenders. And I actually thought it was actually had a really yeah. good first half. He was really good at kind of playing that sweeper role. He kept, and like, because Stuttgart had a number of chances in the first half uh, alone. I mean, pretty sure, yeah, they had 0.49 XG at halftime. 
Um, so they were they were definitely creating chances. For one reason or another, Bills goes off. He gets told mm-hmm. he was ill, uh, so he he was he was thrown off or something in, in, the, in the changing room. And uh, the clublin bring on young Koulibaly, and it just kind of went yep. downhill from there. Now, obviously, people who watch the highlights of this game will see Koulibaly kind of swiping its thin air, much like Cobell did against Bayern uh, in the lead up to that third goal. But I actually, I actually think, having watched the game, that over the course of the match, Emery Chan, as a central defender, was just making one mistake after another mistake. He was constantly being caught out. Uh, he was constantly missing his players. He was losing his mark, the players he was supposed to mark, over and over again. And actually, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's either the Stuttgart's first or second goal, he actually knocks it into the back of there. Where, you know, it takes the ball there. The, I can't remember if it was Koulibaly, the Stuttgart Koulibaly is, uh, took a shot and then, you know, it head towards every Chan. Chan sticks a foot out, up kind of taking a touch on and it takes away from Cavell, who was already diving the right, the right way. And I feel like him and Koulibaly in defence um, was just a recipe for disaster mm-hmm. and Stuttgart over and over and over again just found ways to break through both yeah. of them and I do kind of feel like there was a way that Dortmund or Terzic in particular could have avoided this he had Marius Wolf on the bench could have maybe moved right Rearson in as a sort of you know central defender I know that's not mm-hmm. ideal you know obviously Rearson's a fullback but you kind of have to look at this fact that Koulibaly is obviously extremely um, inexperienced. I'm not mistaken. This yeah, was, it was, was his debut. debut? Yeah, I think I remember. And to come on in a game like this where Stuttgart are just throwing everything at you, alongside a player who is not only not a defender, but has already shown countless times that he kind of struggles to show mm. that composure and the kind of level-headedness yeah. to kind of see out matches. And it just meant like Dortmund's foundation just completely crumbled. Um, and like, I feel really bad for Koulibaly because he obviously makes the mistake at least the third goal. But by that point, Dortmund were already on the ropes because, because they just didn't have a defense that could have held up to any yeah. kind of pressure. And another thing as well that I think is maybe worth bringing up here as well that is the, and again, this kind of goes back to the way this team is trained or the way that this team is kind of, um, you know, is just looked after. And that is that Dortmund looked fantastic in the first half in the sense of going forwards. You know, um, Daniel Malin mm-hmm. was really good. Uh, I thought Julian Brandt was very sharp. Adi Amy was very sharp. Sebastian Haller was quite good. But in the second half, all these players pulled, pulled, um, began to yeah. just kind of drop off. You know, Daniel Malin, Malin had probably the best 45 minutes of his, of his season or perhaps even of his Dortmund career in this game. And then the second half, they looked exhausted. Julian Brandt looked exhausted. Adiemi exhausted. We've talked a lot about the way Sebastian Haller's kind of struggled mm. to finish games recently. And I don't know. I just kind of feel like um, maybe I'm just a bit old-fashioned, but I feel like these players should be able to last 90 minutes. You know? And it, and it, I don't know. It just kind of felt like a very kind of weird thing that Dortmund's entire front line couldn't last 90 minutes of high-intensity football. And so then obviously Royce comes on, yeah. Mukuku comes on, Bayern Gittens comes <clears> on, Jureira. And, you know, I know these guys obviously created some chances, Reina got the goal, but to completely, to, to not only have to play this extremely ropey makeshift defence in the middle of the game, but also to have, to feel a need to completely change your attacking lineup, which was doing quite well in the first half, 
I think that just did so much to kind of completely destroy any sort of momentum or any kind of um, control that Dortmund had over this game. And I do feel like this is something we keep yeah. going back to with Terlich. He is he is very, very good in certain aspects of coaching. There's no doubt that the players buy into what he's offering. There's no doubt that they do run through brick walls for him. Uh, he's managed to get a lot of the kind of players in this team who didn't perform under previous head coaches to perform for him. Daniel Mallon's a perfect example of that. But Terzic, as I think, is shown time and time again, specifically this season, that his in-game management is is really lacking. And I thought this game was a perfect mm. example of that. Yeah, no, totally. I I think the the Cooley body thing was like a big story, right? Like that he came on and um and then kind of gave away that goal. But um I like a big aspect of it too, I think, um when you look at that that goal, um watch what Marco Royce and Gio Reyna are doing. Um I followed this on, on Twitter live and then I watched the, the game and the highlights back and one of the things that kind of stuck out to me is that they both just stop at the halfway line and, um, you know, don't really engage or like, um, you know, run back and do the work that is required in a situation like that. And I think that um, with Marco Weiss, that's an, with Gio Reyna, I mean, this is a well-known fact now, right? Like <laughs> we all know who he is as a person and we all know that it comes with all these 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 problems and um you know he is a very good player he's a very good prospect but he he's also a little bit of a he always has a bit of a personality that doesn't always um is 100 percent work ethic um with royce though he's the captain of this team and we you know we're in the middle of contract negotiations at the moment and um there was a article today that actually suggested that this game might further impact the way Dortmund are considering his future, right? Um, so I think that is a really interesting aspect here. It's like, how are Dortmund going to approach this um, going forward with Marco Reus? Um, and what is the impact of this game? What if happens if Dortmund don't win the title because of this result is, I guess, what I'm going to say. Are they going to say we have to really change things over? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing is, and it, it just it just goes some way to kind of point it out that, you know, this kind of, um, this Dortmund team just really lack any kind of experienced heads that can kind of see them through these games. Maybe Masumo's could have been that in the second half if he'd stuck around. But you look around that team, and this has always been my kind of issue with Royce as a kind of captain, and maybe this is just a problem with always having attacking players as a captain, is they don't really have the kind of defensive kind of mindset to be a kind of consistent or a kind of level-headed player in these kind of moments. Royce always wants to counter-attack. He always wants to run up the ball. He wants to dribble the ball. He always wants to score more goals. And in a game like this, that's not what you want. You want a player who's going to have to sit back, they'll track the runners, and they'll get stuck in. And I think another really telling thing for that third goal is that Jude Bellingham, kind of take a, I actually did take a screenshot of this, and I was going to um, tweet it out, but I just, I just didn't bother because I felt like he was already past the past the point. But when they kind of when as Stuttgart passed the ball out of defence uh, for the move that leads to the third goal, Jude Bellingham, who's only one of two central midfielders in this team, is closing down the left back. And you know, Oskar's kind of left in the middle of the pitch on his own. I think Bayern Gittins for that point to be beside him. And it's just little things like that. I think that I, I, that really made me think. Oh, that's the degree of inexperience that Royce has kind of proved, shown, him, shown himself up for there because I feel like a more experienced central midfielder 
uh, would have probably been sit standing square between the central defenders at that point, saying, you know, I'm going to put my body in the line for whatever comes up here in the next 30 or 60 seconds. Um, and it was a deeply frustrating game for, for Dortmund fans, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see how it leads to, or what it leads to, because obviously, yeah. you know, as we're about to mention in the moment, Bayern kind of maybe did them a favor in struggling to win their own Yeah, no, game. this is where it gets really frustrating, right? I'm, I'm just pulling up the results here. Um, <laughs> Bayern against Hoffmeyn. Um, if you, if you're a Dortmund fan or any fan of any other team, I mean, Timo Werner made these comments, um, after they, after the Leipzig win, right? Um, over Augsburg, the 3 2 victory. Um, he was extremely frustrated with where Leipzig are at at the moment because of Bayern continuously struggling to, um, get results. And, um, you know, we both kind of said in the previous show that, we think that Bayern are going to beat Hoffenheim, but it wouldn't surprise us, probably surprise us if this is a game where they drop points because they have been so wobbly. Um, and teams now go to the Allianz Arena and feel that this is a place where they can get a result, especially teams that still need to play for something. And it seems like up and down the table, everyone is still playing for something right now, right? So you, you're walking into way more situations where teams can get something and yeah, the Andre Kramaric free kick was gorgeous. Um, a beautiful goal. You know, um, how do you defend that? But that entire performance up and down, like Bayern are almost in the same situation as Dortmund. That this, yeah, they're picking up points. Yes, they're first in the table, but their results are so inconsistent that they are almost, they're almost as confused as the Dortmund staff. You look at Thomas Tuchel, his response to after the game. Um, you look at Khan, Hassan Salihamidzic. A lot of the players as well, there's almost like a confusion of what they are. Um, it's almost, um, I think what happened here, and I, I think the Bayern bosses take some blame for that, is this coaching change um, increased the stress levels inside the squad and actually led to even more inconsistency because, you know, they doubt this now creeping in, right? This squad basically blames itself for not making it work under Julian Nagelsmann. And then all of a sudden it's like, now the doubt is creeping in. Or if Nagelsmann leaves, Tuchel comes in. Um, yes, we beat them, beat Dortmund in the Klassiker, but then we drop points twice in the league. And then there's this result in Manchester where individual, a lot of individual mistakes ultimately to, to Bayern losing 3-0 and probably the tie. And we get to, um, the, the second leg in the moment here. But I think at that moment, doubt is creeping in on whether, because the big point that the Bayern bosses made, right? Oliver Kahn said this over and over again at the Thomas Tuchel press conference. We believe this is one of the best squads in Europe. Um, but what if the squad at the moment doesn't believe that? And that's almost how it feels. And then other teams, you know, this soccer is cruel that way. If the opponent smells blood in the water, they're going to come for you. And I think that's what's going on. A team like Hoffenheim is now going to the Allianz Arena and saying, we can get a crucial point in a relegation battle here. Um, and I think that if you're the rest of the Bundesliga, that is extremely frustrating because you have a Bayern side that is extremely vulnerable at the moment that is probably not going to win all six remaining games um, until match day 34. So if you're not capitalizing from that, when will you, right? And um, and that I think is really interesting. So there's two things here, right? We're talking about the rest of the league not capitalizing from Bayern's obvious weaknesses. 
But there's also a lot of things going on at Bayern Munich at the moment that are a story in itself, right? And it starts with the coaching change and it goes on to the two results in the Bundesliga. And of course, the, the, the big result in Manchester that, you know, essentially is probably going to end their Champions League season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a really tricky situation for Bayern at the moment because you can tell that things yeah. aren't very happy. You can tell there's a lot of kind of discomfort behind closed doors. I think the Sadio Mane story that is, has followed the original mm. Sadio Mane story, and what I mean by that is moving on from the mood, the news that he'd been suspended and fined for his altercation with Leroy Sani. There's also reports now that Bayern uh, are all but set to let him go in the summer. That kind of came across to me as almost like kind of red meat that they were kind of throwing to the kind of ravenous masses of angry fans to kind of say, yeah, we know things aren't right. We're ready to crack the whip. We're ready to dump these star players if they don't perform. And I don't think this is going to be the end of it by any means. I really do think that, you know, if, if Bayern get thumped off Man City this week, they crash out the Champions League and things don't turn around very quickly... I think Bayern could find themselves in a situation or the club may find themselves in a situation where they're almost in almost kind of forced to consider the future of a number of these kind of star players. Not because they're not performing well, but also because there's that expectation from the fans to kind of fix mm. this situation. And it's hard and it's and it's hard to fix this situation without maybe wholesale changes to the squad because we've talked we spent all season kind of talking about this. But the the Hoffenheim game was a perfect yeah. example of this in the sense that you know They'd create chances. They um, they probably could have scored more uh, than they did, um, you know. But there were just kind of moments where you thought, oh, and they're just kind of missing something. Like Serge Gnabry in particular seems to embody this so well. The moment where you know he's not a striker, he's not a number nine, uh, and but he's still kind of making the the right moves. But he's just kind of getting into positions, but not finishing them the way a striker would. And, you know, whether it's Chopa Boating or Robert Lewandowski, I feel like if Bayern did have a number nine in that team against Hoffenheim, they probably would have scored an extra two or three goals. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're right. I mean, the Kramich free kick was outstanding. uh, And I don't think there's anything you can really do to save that. But I think in previous seasons, Bayern would have probably already been like two or three goals up by that point, you know. And that's just, and that's a consolation goal rather than an equaliser. So, I think it's quite telling that there's so much kind of riding on whether Chupa Boateng will be able to play this Man City game. I think that in itself probably tells, you know, Hassan Saihamovic or Oliver Kahn exactly what they probably have to do in the summer. You know, or unless Thomas Tuchel can sit them down and explain that he doesn't need a striker, but he needs X, Y, and Z. Um, but it's a, it's a huge issue. And, you know, I think most people will be listening to this just before the Man City game. So um, mm. there's only so much we can kind of say, I guess. But I thought it was, I don't know. I just I just think there's a lot there's a lot going on in that club right now, and unless something quite dramatic happens, like they do turn around against Man City, which to be perfectly honest isn't impossible. You know, obviously yeah. Bayern are a different beast than Allianz Arena when in in the champ in the Champions League. If Chopa voting's back, then they look like a different team. I think it's actually quite telling that if you kind of look at the the pass maps for Bayern in this game. It's once again we've seen this for about the last two or three games now. Is this kind of like uh, like this, like the, the front yeah. line just kind of has a semicircle of passes with no presence whatsoever in the box, um, and 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 they look like mm. a team who's a man down. To be perfectly honest with you, so Chobo Moting could make a difference. Not that he's a world beater himself, but just having someone in that role who can take the passes, who can take the passes, could make a big difference against Man City. 
even if he's not 100% fit. Um, but we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, they're in such a bizarre scenario because they've just appointed the head coach. Tuka will probably mm. win the Bundesliga. Um, and then it'll probably lead to a really interesting summer where Bayern might have to kind of really make some difficult decisions because, I mean, just looking at that kind of starting living against Hoffenheim, there's probably, I mean, one, two, three, four players in that start living who are probably maybe yeah. not sure if they're going to be there, be at the club next season. Um, even more on the bench. Um, so it's a really weird situation for Bayern. Uh, it's one that they undoubtedly as a club just do not feel comfortable being in this situation. Hence the kind of nickname FC Hollywood because when Bayern are put on the back feet, they do panic very quickly. Um, but I don't know. I do feel like this, yeah. th- there's a lot riding on this Man City game. Not in the sense that they have to win it, but if they can kind of do something to kind of regain their honour or regain some sort of composure in the sense that, you know, they go out heroically, they kind of they take the game to Man City, they score two goals. Maybe Man City pull one back and then they get knocked out 4-2 or something. That Even something like that suggests that there is some fight in this team and then they can go in, they can go into the remaining run of fixtures, which, you know, aren't actually that bad, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, they've coming up, they've got, after the Man City game, they've got Mainz away, mm. Hertha at home, Bremen away, then Schalke at home. I mean, that's four games that they could easily rack up maximum points, 15 goals, concede one or two, and suddenly things look back to normal before what could be a tricky game against Leipzig and then they've closed in the final day. So, I mean, unless something dramatic happens, their league season's almost entirely wrapped up. You know, unless unless you know Dortmund can keep pace and yeah. then Leipzig cause an issue in a few weeks' time, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's just a very weird situation. I guess we're we're, we're I feel like we're kind of in the, in the eye of the storm right now, and we're waiting to see. I think this Man City result is going to be really telling um, on how it's going to go forward. You you mentioned you rattled off all these easy opponents. Mine still have a still playing for a spot in Europe, right? And they are the sort of team that Bayern has struggled against. Werder Bremen, okay, I don't see them doing much damage unless Niklas Füllkrug is fully fit, right? But then there's Schalke. You know, they're the sort of opponent that is really playing for something. And it seems like whenever they are playing against someone this year who actually cares, they really seem to struggle. It's almost like they can't face a team that's facing adversity. Um, and the Schalke is obviously facing adversity. So did Hoffenheim, right? And those teams... Now, because they, they sense the vulnerability of the opponent and they're so desperate themselves, they no longer just go to, to Munich or play against Bayern and say, oh, well, we don't need those three points. They're saying, these are three points that we get them on top of what we already have. That's a huge bonus and we're going to go get it, right? And so I think that Schalke game actually could be one where I think, okay, well, what if they lose that? Or what if they draw it? And what if Dortmund actually are able to keep pace? Then you go to Leipzig um, and then Leipzig, you know, is a team that Bayern likes to drop points against. They, you know, this could go really sideways for them, um, which of course would make our job a lot more interesting. Um, but I think this, a lot of it will depend on this, this Manchester game. Um, because, you know, a good performance, let's say they, okay, let's say they, they do the impossible and turn this around. Um, and we've seen crazier things in the Champions League happen, right? 
um, especially between two teams of the size. We all remember the Liverpool result against Barcelona in the second leg, right? A few years ago where they, I think they turned over a, what was it? A 5-1 to a 4-0. Um, it was something crazy like that. Um, so it's not impossible that English teams have gone to the Allianz Arena and got absolutely smashed. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does happen, I think Bayern Munich will be cruising to a Bundesliga title from here on out. If Man City go to Munich and do the same thing again that they did in the first leg, I think the house will be on fire. And then Tuchel will be so busy putting out all these individual fires and little stories will be creeping up. Like that Ryan Gravenberg story, right, that he wants to leave. Um, I think Bayern have no interest whatsoever in letting him leave. Well, we can probably discuss that in the transfer show later this week. But that's another fire now that's that's being put on by probably his agency, right? Um, suggesting that he wants to leave. And like so Tuchel probably doesn't even know yet what to do with Ryan Gravenberg until next summer. Right? But now he has to deal with it now. Um so like you have that story going on. There's still stuff going on with Pavard. Now there's the story with Victor Oziman, you know, a striker coming in, another name mentioned, and so it's like there's so many little things going on all at once. And it feels like the Man City result, a good Man City result could put out a lot of these fires all at once. But if they lose in traumatic fashion, all of a sudden you have more fires. And I think the rest of Bayern Munich's season will be defined on Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, I it, just to maybe wrap this up, I mean, the two things that really stood out to me about why they appointed Tuchel was to, yeah. to, to instill some sort of discipline to this team, but to also get the best out yeah. of what they perceive to be a really talented group of players. And I don't think we've really seen that yet. Obviously, the discipline thing's going out the window, obviously, what, following the kind of what happened after the Man City game. But the individual mm. performances just have not improved either. You know, you can go to that Man City game and see how, you know, key players in defense, you know, Pumacano's the high, the, the most obvious one. Uh, but even up front, you know, Serge Gnabry gone missing, uh, you know, midfield, whatever. And this team are still playing with the same kind of, you know, malaise or um, lack of interest that they yeah. apparently had under Julian Dagelsman. So, you know, and, and that's what kind of brings us, and this is exactly what you're saying, like, you know, if we still see another one of those performances against Man City, and in particular, key individual players not stepping up to the mark, then... It does kind of suggest there's something kind of deeper or more insidious going on in this Bayern team that you do have a group of professional players who, after one head coach after another, you have two really impressive head coaches in Nagelsmann and Thomas Tuchel. We're not talking about old, dusty old men here, like previous head from previous generations mm. who, you know, can inspire young players. We're talking about two guys who are at the top of their game when it comes to, um, you know, yeah. um, relating to young players nowadays. If neither of these two guys can get the best out of, what is a really talented squad, then Bayern really have no option except to maybe start, you know, cutting into that team and just saying, right, well, we're going to need a massive rebuild. Um, and that's when the kind of pressure gets put back on Hassan Sajanovic because, you know, yeah. the start of last season, everyone was kind of singing his praises because like, wow, Sadio Mane, wow, Matthias Delict. But, you know, eight months on, you, you kind of look back in hindsight and it really is with the benefit of hindsight. You say, well, actually, both those players are probably up for sale in the first place. Both those players had clubs that wanted to move them on. And maybe Bayern Munich just kind of walked into the transfer market and said, right, we'll pick them up at store, at, mm. at, you know, at a base level um, because we know we can, because both players want to move on. So 
you know, it's been, it wasn't some master stroke. It's just the fact that Bayern signed the players that were up for sale mm-hmm. and really neither of them have really worked out tremendously well and they haven't fixed the problems in this team. So that, that pressure then gets put on Sajavic because he's not yeah, solving yeah. the problems. I, mean, I, I like the delicious signing. Right I think that is one that's going to work out. The Saudi money feels like one that just is not a good fit. Um, it's interesting that his numbers are actually better than they were at the same time in Liverpool, but um, I think you ha- can have good numbers and you know still not be a, a good fit. You know, like numbers always don't tell the full story in a sense that do these numbers actually lead to better results, right? Um, you know, because in, at Liverpool there was two other guys that he had a really good chemistry with. Um, and so his numbers maybe translated into bigger numbers for these other guys, whereas maybe it's almost like a subtraction in terms of output for Bayern, uh, because it's just, you know, the way the puzzle, the puzzle piece is just not the right puzzle piece. Um, and I think that is actually a really interesting story in itself that, I mean, we've talked about this in, in great length that, you know, the, the forward that Bayern Munich needed wasn't signed. Um, you know, you know, to this day, it's really telling that Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting is having the season that he's having, um, because you know he is probably the profile of a player that Bayern Munich did need to sign, just you know, with more talented, um, and that's I think that is quite telling, and that will you know lead to questions um, concerning Hasan Salihamidzic and Marco Nepes' job, right, his assistant, who, who is the, the talent identifier. And you see these these stories already creeping up, and um, you know you go online, and an old uh, Twitter hellsphere isn't exactly a real representation of the real world. But you know, um, a lot of people are really upset that Nagelsmann got got fired, and Tuchel came in, and the situation got worse for a lot of people's perception. And um, I think that is you know where the board is going to get; they will be asked some serious questions. What has Bayern made so successful, um, maybe to wrap this up, is that they rarely made a mistake over the last 10 years. And it feels like this year they have made some mistakes. And it could still lead to another Bundesliga team capitalizing from it, right? The question is then, will the mistakes that they have made this year, and this is the bigger question, right? Even if they do win the Bundesliga title this year, are the mistakes that they made this year lead to further mistakes this summer when they're trying to fix the previous mistakes? And you see, like, they, they're slowly creeping back to the mean that they had in the 1990s and early 2000s when other teams on a regular basis won Bundesliga titles, right? And I think maybe the era is coming to an end. And I mean, Bayern Munich is still probably going to win 50% of Bundesliga titles, but this era of being undefeatable within this league. I feel like that's slowly coming to an end. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, if you kind of talk to Barn fans, I think the thing they probably miss mm. is just that kind of stability in the team. You know, um, I think probably the most, I mean, look, the, this entire team's had to be rebuilt. You know, you can go back to like the team that maybe, um, if you want to go back as far as like, you know, because of Pep Guardiola, from start to finish, this team's had to be rebuilt defensively. The only players who are still around, obviously, are Manuel Neuer yeah. and Thomas Muller. Maybe Kimmich and Goretzka get fit into that, but that kind of that kind of means that you know the front lines had to be replaced, the defense has had to be replaced, which I think is such a, a really big thing to do. That's kind of overlooked is that yeah. you know the club still haven't really properly replaced Boateng and Alaba, um, but also 
the big thing that I think they missed that they had back then was Robin and Ribery. They just had two wingers who knew what they were doing every week. They knew how to put the ball in the back of the yeah. net or they knew how to score get great goals for the striker. And I mean, obviously both those players had their injury concerns and some players had to fill in for them. But more or less, you knew where you stood with those two players. Bayern now kind of have this array of attacking players who kind of mix and match and get swapped in and swapped out. And if you know if someone was to ask you what does Leroy Sané play and what does he do in this Bayern team, you'd probably have to take like a ten-page spreadsheet just to explain it to them. Well, he does this sometimes yeah. and he does that sometimes, and it depends if they play with number nine or if Goretzka's out that week and he has to play as number eight. Same as Serge Gnabry, you don't really know what he does in that team. Kings at Coleman, to, to his credit, who is also maybe a kind of go back to that era and there's maybe a kind of understudy of sorts to Robert and Ribery mm-hmm. is a bit more like them in the sense that, you know, you could play him right wing for the whole season and you, you know what you yeah. get from him. And that's why I do feel like I often stick up for Coleman in that regard. But it's just a problem with the old team. And, you know, and, and I think this is also an issue that not only is the squad has to be rebuilt, but the people who are are in charge of building the squad it has to be changed as well. You know, you've gone from Honez mm. and Rumeniga to Hassan Sajamovic and Oliver Kahn, and they're obviously learning on the job, and they're having to replace their predecessors just as much as Upa Meccano, yeah. um, you know, is having to replace his predecessor in the squad, and that's why Bayern, I think that's why Bayern are in the situation they're in, and why maybe the guy on the sideline with the tactics board no, isn't actually the that squad. isn't um, making much of a difference but, right now you know obviously we're going to find out later this this week um what's what's going to happen next um this has been a fascinating story and um you know that is it, it fortunately is leading to a really interesting Bundesliga title race that is far from over even with Dortmund uh, slipping up the gap is still only two points um but yes uh, we'll find out obviously in the next few days how the story continues um, as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. I think Stefan, this is a good point to wrap it up. Um, any final thoughts before we call this a day? Mm. No, just to obviously, as always, thank everyone who subscribes, listens to the show. Yeah. Uh, if you don't subscribe to our Substack, do give it a look. Um, even if you're not that interested in newsletters, yeah. we, that's where we stick all our extra shows. I think people enjoy them and. We've actually recently had a lot of fun kind of setting up threads and chance subscribers about things. We put put one up for the match day this mm. week and I think it's had last I checked, maybe thirty or forty comments on it. So it's 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 kind of developing into this fun little community yeah. for Bundesliga fans to Yeah, definitely shoot it's, the it's shit a fun place and it's way and actually, you know, often helps uh, with ideas and thoughts and you know, pointing us into directions and stories that, you know, otherwise we might overlook. So yeah, the community has been awesome. Uh, give it a look. It's on Substack. And yeah, sign up. It's it's good. it's great fun. Um, but that's it for us. This for Today's show, we'll be back later with the transfer show and, of course, the Champions League reaction show. Um, I'm still in LA. I've been asked this over and over again, Stefan. Um, what's going on with the Bayern Munich LAFC deal? Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I'm in Los Angeles. I'm not here to actually just enjoy the sun. In fairness, the sun is actually not out today. Um, I'm actually here to, to, to find out what's actually going on. And I have answers. Um, so we're going to have answers on the podcast, but there's also going to be a feature article coming on Transfermarkt. So keep your eyes open on that because I actually know all the details now. So, um, yeah, that's coming soon. Um, so until then. We'll be back soon. Auf Wiedersehen.
Ende in Sicht. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.